You are listening to the Tour des Flaneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 11, today we're in Col du Grenon. Well, I'm up here at the finish and Jonas Vingegaard is 150 meters to go and there's been a lot of cheers when Pogacar went out the back. There's also been a lot of cheers anytime a Frenchman has been put on TV, be it Bardet or even when Guru caught up to Pogacar and passed him. But here comes Jonas Vingegaard for stage win and the yellow jersey. And you can hear the crowd going crazy up here. And he looks exhausted. We've got Quintana coming in for second place. An awesome ride from him. I think Le Pêcheur has grown wings. Jonas Vingegaard is going to take yellow and Pogacar is still two minutes away from the finish of this climb. Well, we heard you there, Boz, 500 meters from the finish line of stage 11 of the Tour de France, which is people are already calling a historic day. Did it feel historic when you were standing there? In a way, it did. You know, it's funny, being at the top of the climb, there were moments when I didn't really know. I guess I was riding when, you know, a lot of the action was actually taking place on, on the Galibier. But, you know, just, I guess, witnessing, you know, the last the last climb, I very quickly realized that, you know, what we were what we were all seeing was was a historic moment. And it was interesting, as we as we heard, to hear the different cheers as, you know, a French rider came on TV. But specifically when, when Pogachar was going out the back, how... A lot of people started cheering pretty loudly, which was a little bit surprising to me because I had always thought he was a popular popular character. But I think um, people are happy to see the race kind of coming back into level of dynamic racing. Oh yeah, the French will always cheer the the underdog or you know the the guy coming from behind or you know it's kind of the the Polydor syndrome. You know, like you cheer Polydor instead of Anctil. Those historical references uh, to 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 kind of imply that I've, I've seen a lot of historical stages in my in my career. So um, yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, only time will tell uh, uh, how historical this 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 day was because because t- tomorrow could be historic as well. We never know. You know, it was exciting, really exciting. One of the most exciting stages we've seen for a long time. We were all hoping at the start of the Tour de France that there will be a, a real battle from the from Ineos and from Jumbo Visma to try and topple Tadej Pogacar, like like a sort of a guerrilla. Uh, you know, race against the uh, the, the the reigning uh, champion, and yeah, he was toppled today, and that, that's in, in itself is quite quite a quite an, an amazing moment. We never suspected, you know, that Pogacar would fail that that badly today. Well, we should actually find out what actually happened. So uh, let's play into my tale of the attack. Well, stage eleven billed as the first of the big alpine tests, and what a test lay in store for the riders. 151.7 kilometers, finishing with a triple whammy of Col du Telegraph, Galibier, ending with a summit finish at the fearsome Col du Granon, site of Bernard Eno's final ever day in yellow back in 1986. An attack by Wout van Aert and Mathieu van der Poel kicked off proceedings, which quickly multiplied into a 20-strong move. The peloton seemed content to let them go, and they quickly gained four minutes by the time they reached the spectacular hairpins of the Lassay de Montvernier. It was here that van der Poel was dropped, his last action of what has been a tumultuous race for him as he abandoned soon after. 
Oliver Nason also abandoning. The brakes split on the ascent of the Telegraph, leaving only 10 at the front, notable among them Van Aert, Warren Bargy and the King of the Mountains jersey Simon Geschke, and they extended their lead to over nine minutes on the peloton. With Mark Hershey falling away and sensing further weakness in Pogacar's support entourage, Jumbo Visma set about attacking the yellow jersey from long range. Primoz Roglic dragging Jonas Vingegaard away from the rest before Adam Yates clawed them back. Jumbo Visma's strategy would set the tone for the rest of the stage. Relentless, powerful attacks from their ranks soon whittled the group of GC contenders right down, isolating Pogacar and Geraint Thomas. The quartet that were left refused to play nice. Vingegaard fired off the first blistering attack. When that was nullified by the yellow jersey, though, it was the turn of Roglic to put the boot in. But Pogacar was far from lost, putting in his own dig. All the while, Thomas was riding at his own tempo to regain contact. In an attempt to help Pogacar, Marc Soler bridged across, but it wasn't long before others did the same, bringing with them team reinforcements and new contenders, among them Roman Bardet and Nairo Quintana. While there was a brief truce in the GC group, at the front of the race, Bargui set off on his own, splintering the remainder of the breakaway and cresting the Galibier first to wrestle the polka dot jersey from Geschke. With the altitude on the Galibier hitting 2,000 metres, Roglic struck again, but Pogacar refused to allow his countryman any leeway. In fact, for this yellow jersey, attack is the best form of defence, and only Vingegaard could stay on his wheel. It seemed that the balance had swung back in Pogacar's favour, but Wout van Aert was still up ahead, ready to help his Jumbo teammate. Some yo-yoing in the GC group eventually saw a regrouping on the descent. Once Van Aert was caught, he dropped right back and, like a locomotive, brought Roglic back into the fray, ready for the finale on the Granon. Up front, Bargi's hopes of a third Tour de France stage win looked promising with his pursuers falling away. Rafa Mica policed the GC group in support of the yellow jersey and Nairo Quintana was allowed to slip away with no immediate response. The Colombian quickly became second on the road to his Arkea Samsic teammate Bargui, who was beginning to flag. Roman Bardet then made his move, gaining some ground, and with no reaction, Vingegaard launched an attack of his own. Incredibly, after so much resilience up to now, Pogacar faltered and showed his first sign of weakness at this tour so far. Ahead, Quintana passed Bargui to take the lead of the stage with 4.4 kilometres to go, but the fireworks behind continued, Vingegaard firing through and eating into Quintana's new advantage. Behind, it was open season on a floundering Pogacar, Thomas cruising past him, and then Yates, and then Gaudu as well. Riding like a man possessed, Vingegaard passed Bardet and then Quintana, opening up a minute lead over Pogacar, the Dane was totally unrelenting, though, crossing the finish line solo. Incredible damage done to Pogacar, the defending champion ceding three minutes and one second in one unforgettable day. Bardet now is second on GC at 2 minutes 16 and Pogacar third at 2 minutes 22. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. 
We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, title sponsors of the Cycling Podcast. And we're delighted to share with you that they've started their own podcast, the Super Sapiens Podcast, hosted by Zylon Van Eyck and Dr. David Littman. Here's a clip from a recent episode when they were joined by pro rider for SD Works, Ashley Mulman Passio. With endurance efforts, I saw that what I was doing in the past, I was having massive like spikes and dips, spikes and dips, you know. Um, so I was able to try some different things and then to, to realize or to find the foods that helped me to kind of maintain my sugars more stable in endurance rides. And interestingly enough, for me, sweet potato is the secret <laughs> to maintaining sugar levels. But I've spoken to someone else who said sweet potato gives them massive spikes. I found some great recipes from like Hannah Grant, who really, um, you know, she's the, the guru when it comes to baking with sweet potato. So yeah, from sweet potato, chocolate brownies to sweet potato and banana breads. Find out more about Super Sapiens system of continuous glucose monitoring, which can help tailor your fueling and training for success go to supersapiens.com. Well, Francois, we're at the second press buffet of my tour. You're 736th today. We're at the base of the... We're in Briançon getting ready. Well, I'm going to go climb the Grand Ole. What do you... Uh, well, I'm in my kit at the moment. What sort of advice do you have to tell me? I've got... Well, you can explain what's on my plate. Yeah, you, you took a little bit of uh, ham, a little bit of um, uh, tapenade, which is a kind of, a, you know, olive... Uh, uh, kind of cream. You you you, you took a uh, what 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 is there? Blueberry tart or something? And uh, I don't know exactly. Oh, crumble maybe. So lots of sugar there. Uh, is it what you need to tackle the granule? Yeah, no, I didn't. It actually looks like a pretty good lunch today, but I kind of went light because I'm trying to get up there quick. But they did have wine today, so I'm going to have a little half a half pour of wine before we head off. And I did pick up some Haribo for the climb in case I get hungry up at the top, but. It's warm down here in Briançon. It's, I think, 30 degrees as we pulled in and just going to keep getting warmer. Probably a little bit cooler on top. No, I'm looking forward to it. We'll see We'll see what's on top. And, uh, yeah, it's probably going to be a lot of fans up there today. So we'll see what we find. Well, we are all aware of what a massive challenge the Col de Granon would be for the riders. But, obviously, it turned out to be a challenge for the journalists as well, Boz. What was your experience as a journalist this time? It was very unique in the sense, you know, this was my second day. And I feel like yesterday I was around the paddock early on and just getting a sense of like how you can kind of throw your mic out there regardless if you're asking the questions or not and today as we heard I decided to to ride up the climb and I got to the top and once up there I realized that I was the only journalist up there um, which was really surprising and I guess for a while I've, I've read something a while back that Albert Einstein had this option paralysis where he only had he had seven pairs of clothes that were all identical because he didn't want to choose what he had to wear that day and I guess at the finish line, I kind of felt like, oh my goodness, there are so many riders here and they're all, especially at the top of a climb, they're all vulnerable. They're all tired. They're all hanging over their bars. And I'm like, I'm the only person here to speak to them. And, you know, for a while I was like hesitating, like, who do I speak to? Who should I grab? Um, which is a unique experience. It was, you know, really, you know, for myself, it was fantastic to be one of the only people up there. But, um, you know, I, I guess I find myself sometimes in a funny position as well, because a lot of these riders are my friends or, you know, former colleagues. So, you know, I, I am behind a mask. So they don't always instantly recognize me, um, but some of them do. And that's, it's always nice to be, be recognized. And then I feel like I have a little insight into putting a microphone in their face. 
Francois, you didn't fancy it. You didn't fancy a, a trip up as well on your bike. No, the the problem is, uh, well, I, I've never ridden a bike in my life. I mean, I I, I have ridden <laughs> I have ridden bikes from time to time, but I'm not. You know, I was a runner. I've never been a, a very good rider at any stage of my life. So there was no way, and especially Le Granon, uh, which is, you know, which is supposed to, it's called the monster. We, we we talk about monsters a lot in this uh, podcast this this year, but yeah, it's called the le monstre du Briançonnet, the uh, the Granon. So you know to yeah, there was a suggestion, and for, from some uh, colleagues, that you know we, we should all buy uh, you know uh, e-bikes and 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 actually use them to to go to the finish these days because the, I'm you know Jumbo Visma had a plan, it worked fine. We had a plan, and it worked fine. I'm pretty I'm, I'm pretty proud of ourselves. I mean, because the the idea of sending even uh, riding to the top of the of the Granon meant we are the only media who really had you know direct quotes from the guys at the finish, which was, you know, a kind of a bold move because we, 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 we're not even sure that you, were, were, you would be allowed to record up there. But I think we, we, we made the right move and that's, yeah, that, that's great. I must say that, well, you, you, we must go back to the, the context a little, a little bit. As we said, you know, the, the, the last couple of days, COVID, you know, made, uh, resulted in the fact that, uh, you know, the paddock uh, is locked down, the access to riders is uh, restricted. So we we have to find ways to get to the to, to the riders, to talk to the, the people in the race bubble. And well, our little plan of the day was uh, great, I think. Yeah, we spoke last night about Francois being the team leader and uh, we have a good one. He, he implemented a great a great plan today. Maybe Jumbo Visma will hire him up for, for next year's tour. <laughs> Well, exactly. I was going to say whose plan was better today, the cycling podcast or Jumbo Visma, because it really was uh, a team plan working out to perfection, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. You know, I was able to speak to a number of, of Jumbo Visma riders at the finish. And, you know, there was a, you know, a stark contrast between their all their emotions, you know, all the teammates as they as they rolled into the top and, you know, various other teams and riders at the top, you know, in particular, UAE looked like a very broken team. You know, and I actually did some reconnaissance last night. We looked at the Strava and I had noticed that the time up the climb was actually relatively slow compared to, you know, what's possible. And so I had assumed that a lot of riders hadn't actually ridden the climb, but as we'll hear, you know, Jumbo actually had come here as a team to, to recon the climb. They may have just not posted on Strava to not let people know. Vingegaard said he, he, he had only done the, 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 you know, at least half the climb by car, and he actually discovered the, Le, Le Grand Nord today, and he, and he, had a, he used an adjective, brutal, you know? So obviously he was talking of tactics, you know, I know it's a cliche, but, you know, the, the, the expression textbook cycling was actually the case uh, today. I mean, everything went according to plan. What was one art first? You know, to to lead the way, and then then turning into a domestic to to lead the the, the, the you know the the, the Jumbo Visma, uh, well kind of train. Uh, you know, uh, Roglic you know being sa- sacrificed uh, for his uh, for for Jonas Vingegaard. Well, knowing that you know you have such a great rider as uh, Primoz Roglic, and you sacrifice a guy, you know, for for the common good. I mean, all this was planned. And I guess the, the astonishing thing is that probably UAE and probably Pogacar knew that there was the plan, knew that that it was bound to happen. He just couldn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, I guess my thought coming into today, I guess coming into the fact, I guess in the Alps, thinking that Pogacar's best form of defense was going to be attacking. I mean, I thought on a day like today, you know, if he could distance himself and put, you know, or really isolate himself between one or two riders where he only had to look after, you know, maybe Vingegaard and, and G, then he would, you know, he could let riders go up the road if they were five or six minutes down. 
And I think we, we saw a bit of that on the Glendom where he was being really aggressive, but I, you know, he was, he was keeping things very controlled by himself, which is not an easy thing to do, especially, you know, coming down the Col de Lottery. It's, it's a long, gradual downhill. Yeah, you, you could you could tell things were going you, you were not going according to plan for Pogacar when he I, I think it, it was a little bit uh, how could I say not lack of experience but that on the, the, I think the race was probably decided on the Galibier you you had all these attacks uh, and they they played it like at at one stage it was like uh, you know a sprint event on track you know they were <laughs> yeah. they, they, they were there were four of them you you could you could send the tactics the the the, the, the the intimidation going there, you know, and actually in many ways, P- Pogacar react- reacted like an amateur, like you know, going for every move. W- why did why did he, uh, you know, go after Roglic when Roglic attacked an, a couple of times? Roglic was no threat uh, uh, for the GC, so he, he, he should have let him go. But you 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 could feel, you know, that there was maybe a lack of confidence. In retrospect, I asked myself whether. All this effort we've seen him doing at the, the, at the end of stages, the, 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 you know, in the previous days, like grabbing ten seconds here, five seconds there, were, were not actually motivated by a, a little lack of confidence. Or so maybe he's, he's, he's not in the shape we, we thought he was. Yeah, when I think you know the whole the illness that is potentially running around the team could also be playing a factor as well. But yeah, I mean, I think we said it last night that Pogacar finished at the front of the group, you know, of the I guess reduced peloton, which. For me, it was a little bit odd that he's he's digging deep every day. But as Francois said, I mean, it's very seldom in, in recent tour history, really in recent cycling history, that we've seen so much aggression so often throughout this whole race. It's not just been today's stage, but the fact that, you know, 50K to go, that, you know, riders were attacking and going over the top, you know, one by one or, you know, and, and it, it kind of regrouped on the on the backside. But, you know, the race was split to bits, 50K to go. Well, it has reminded me of Simon Yates at the Giro. Do you remember when uh, he was kind of going for all these uh, a few seconds here, a few seconds there in, in the first week and managed to build up a, a decent lead, but then lost it all in, in one stage uh, to Froome and lost the, the pink jersey. So I wonder if, do you think Tadej Pogacar is now suffering from those efforts that he's been putting in all week or, or suffering from that kind of almost showboating um, when, he, you know, Roglic was attacking, Vingegaard was attacking and then, Pogacar would uh, attack when even when he didn't need to. Do you think he paid for that on the uh, final climb there? The heat was definitely a factor. We know that Pogacar doesn't like the heat. And uh, and I mean, if we know Jumovisma knew as well, and all the others knew, so that, that's one factor. We, we I mean, seeing him lose that much time in the final climb, we, you, you, you have to ask yourself whether, you know, there was not a, a problem with a kind of a hunger knock or something uh, but at, at the end of the uh, of the the day uh, he was asked repeatedly uh, what had gone wrong and and ref- he refused to 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 say anything else but you know Jumbo Visma were, were were the best today he didn't look for excuses or like you know uh fringale, as we say in fr- in French or you know being tired from the other days or the heat or anything maybe he didn't want to give a clue to to, to the, you know to his opponents of what's what's going wrong because if he does then maybe tomorrow they you know they, they, they'll act uh, on it 
I, I, I really think tomorrow will be a, a key, I mean, today was a key stage, but tomorrow we'll see whether it was a, a, un jour sans, you know, a day with that, as we say, a bad day for Pogacar, or whether it is more serious than that. Tomorrow will be either the confirmation or the denial of the, 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 the takeover by Fingergold. Yeah, and I, I swung by the Ineos bus on the way back and I didn't record anything, but I was speaking to a director over there, Gabriel Rash, and was mentioning that this is at least as far as I know, one of the first times that Pogacar has been dropped. You know, he just, you know, didn't lose a couple seconds. He really exploded and lost, you know, a significant chunk of time. And, you know, he's such a smooth and elegant rider more often than not. And you could just see he was, he was suffering. You know, he was moving on his bike more. His jersey was unzipped. You know, he was really struggling today. And so it's, it's a definite sign that, you know, it was a bad day, but it could be this leading into a, you know, a series of bad days potentially. And the, the most important thing, maybe f for now, is that Jumbo Visma have exposed uh, Pogacar's uh, you know weaknesses, but now the others know as well. I mean, Geraint Thomas did his race as he, as he you know very consistently as he usually does, but now the Universe Grenadiers know that if they in turn attack, uh, in turn you know it, it might work as well. Uh, as we say, Romain Bardet now has ambitions. O other guys may feel like Nigel Quintana went for it. So they might you know this bad day uh, could could make things even worse for Pogacar because others may you know may, may follow follow what suit from what Jumbo uh, Visma did today, and 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 if he's attacked from all sides, it'll be really really tough well i think i noticed a moment watching up at the top of the climb when david gadu caught back up to pogachar and, and yates was on his wheel and gadu came up and i noticed and i was just wondering what they were thinking because so often these riders are behind pogachar just waiting for him to attack and there was a moment when i think gadu actually went ahead of him and i think he was just like and, and same with garen thomas he was looking back like wait pogachar is behind me like I'm, I'm not just it's not just a small gap and he's going to close it he's continuing to lose time and i think for a lot of riders, they haven't seen that in the last couple of years, and not just the Tour, but any race or any time they've gone up against Pogacar. Probably confidence booster for all these guys. The the only thing being that Vingegaard was really impressive. If if you know if 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 actually it's it is confirmed that Pogacar is fading a little bit, it, it is not Vingegaard's case. You know, the, it, maybe the the, the 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 mechanical and the problems Jumbo Visma had on the on the cobbles were kind of a uh, you know made us believe that you know they were not as strong and we 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 lost sight of the fact that they were actually still there and more than ever and we lost sight as well of how strong Jonas Vingegaard uh, is and well today he, he, well we know he's now the, the new favorite of the Tour de France I'm not saying that Pogacar is finished that by not by any means and that's what what Vingegaard said also at the finish it was nice to see Pogacar is is a classic guy you know he he, he really had a bad day today and he went to congratulate uh, Jonas Vingegaard, who was on his bike, you know, talking to his uh, girlfriend and his parents on the phone, and uh, you, you can you can see there's res mutual respect. And Vingegaard said in, in the press conference that, well, that there's an exciting battle uh, ahead, and uh, and as he said, that's the the exciting battle we were all hoping for. Yeah, I, I did make one observation at the finish line as well, and I've you know very seldom seen Pogacar after the race, and I assume you know he comes across as very you know happy easygoing but there was a you know a cluster of people around him trying to push him back to the to the behind the podium and he he started yelling at people like get out of my way because i think he was you know clearly frustrated after after the day and i do wonder if this long term could potentially change the mindset of a pogachar you know it's really the first kind of on a on a big scale that he's had a, a bad day and could it make him more of a potentially cynical rider going forward 
Well, shall we hear from Pogacar's teammate, Brandon McNulty? You caught up with him in the finish, Boz, didn't you? I did, yes. Um, and oddly enough, I was a little bit skeptical to speak to any UAE riders just because I was wondering if I spoke to them, would other teams not want to speak to me given the fact that, you know, they you know they have had COVID cases within the team. But um, yeah, Brandon came across the line and, you know, we made eye contact and he instantly recognized me. And so I went over and, and had a chat with him. But oddly, when I first um, observed him, he was he was actually smiling and laughing. And I think in a sense, he has kind of understood that, you know, maybe they anticipated this more than we thought. So let's hear from Brandon McNulty. Well, Brandon, I mean, I think you know the result that, that Pogachar lost the yellow jersey today, but he, he definitely went down with a fight. Was this a stage you guys had anticipated being a challenge? Yeah, I mean, it's the first the first proper day and we knew... We're already weakened, losing a couple guys, and guys not feeling well. And so, yeah, I expected to come under full fire, and yeah, it all it happened early on, and yeah, we all gave what we could, but in the end, yeah, the strongest guy obviously won today. So, well, and on the Galibier, Jumbo was trying to send Roglic up the road, but Pogacar wouldn't let him go. Was was he a rider you knew you had to keep close? Yeah, Primos is always dangerous. I mean, you give him a minute, and then maybe it takes the descent and then yeah, it could escalate blowing out really fast yeah 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 well and knowing that there's still a lot of racing ahead and knowing Pogachar and you know not having the pressure of defending yellow do you guys think that I mean you know Pogachar better than I do does he have the ability to, to bounce back and then give it a fight in the coming days and in the Pyrenees yeah I mean I'll say 100% he can he'll try I mean whether he can do it or not I don't know but he'll try congrats man uh, thank you well so contrary to UAE the Jumbo Visma team was very ecstatic at the finish line. They were all smiling and giving each other fist bumps. And I was able to connect with a few of the riders and, and directors on the team. So we're about to hear from Stephen Kreuswick, American Sepp Kuss, and their director, Gries Nierman. All right, Stephen Kreuswick, you guys have been at it for a while. And finally today, Jonas, he smashed it up that final climb. And you guys seemed like you had a plan all day. We started with a plan. And we know this stage uh, was really, really hot, this one. We did a recon a few weeks ago and already we said here maybe this would be a really a stage that Jonas would suit because of the steepness and the altitude and with that uh, also the heat in the beginning of the of the race. Yeah, we decided uh, also with Primos we could play a bit. Maybe we could take uh, take some time out of uh, put the team of Pogacar under pressure and I think we succeeded in that on the Galibier pretty well with some attacks and uh, some guys in the front. Yeah, on the last climb... Uh, up to uh, Jonas itself, and you see he's, he was flying. I mean, you have another big day tomorrow. I mean, Jonas has shown that he's, he can recover well. Um, but Pogacar really came came apart today. Do you guys, I mean, you, you clearly have the team as well for the next couple of days. Yeah, we've got a really strong team. I think you already saw that from uh, stage number one. And uh, great ambitions, going for green stages and, and the yellow. And we lost Primoz a bit in the GC5, but yeah, we see with Jonas, we... Uh, I think we are pretty good uh, to defend him. Well, I uh, just spoke to Stephen Kreuswick and then American guy, Seb Kuss came up. Dude, I mean, you got the whole team up here. You just rolled in with Roglic. I mean, this has to be, I mean, this has been a long time in the work for, for the team. You know, we, we knew uh, Pogacar was, um, yeah, always always the guy to beat, always super strong, but uh, you, you have to believe in yourself and believe in the team that, that you can do it and, and we had a plan today you always have to see how it goes in the race but but to be able to more or less execute the plan and, and see Jonas just uh, 
just fly like we knew he could. It was, uh, yeah, really amazing. I mean, I spoke to Kreuzberg, said you guys had recon this climb before. Was this a stage that you guys identified? Or, I mean, obviously there's a big stage again tomorrow, but was there something specific about this climb that you guys knew was possibly in your favor, or the, the stage in, a, in general? Uh, yeah, we knew out of all the climbs in the tour, this was probably the one that uh, suited Jonas the best, just long and steep. And with the uh, Galibier coming coming before, it, w- it was a good chance to um, do something from a distance if we if we had the numbers. So uh, yeah, it was uh, a good stage for that. And I mean, I guess a positive note as well is you guys still have a strong team here going forward because you know we're only halfway through the tour, a big day tomorrow, and some some tough days before the next rest day. How are you, I mean, how are you and the whole team feeling about that now? Defending yellow, which is a, a different strategy and different tactic. Different defending it, more more pressure. But I think, uh, yeah, we we've been in that position uh, a lot in uh, in the tour and in, in the Vuelta and a lot of different races. So we we kind of know how each other race, and uh, I, I think we're confident for it. A big day for the team, and it seems the environment, a lot of, I mean, just a lot of happy happiness, I mean, at the top of the Grand On here. Yeah, I think I'm really proud of the boys. This was really a team effort. Eh? We, the initial idea was to uh, to get Primoz ahead to put UAE under pressure, but uh, apparently, uh, obviously, Pogacar didn't want to let Primoz go. There was a real, real big fight on the Galibier already, and... Uh, in the end, he had to pay for that, I guess. And Jonas came out as the strongest. And uh, uh, yeah, I think we played it really, really good, really well today. But uh, yeah, thanks to the boys who, who just uh, yeah displayed like uh, big, big strengths, a big team effort. Well, and it's been a long time in the making in the sense that, you know, you guys have been slowly chipping away at this. And, and to now be in this position leading the Tour de France halfway through, I mean, how does, how does that feel? Yeah, it feels really, really good, of course. Eh? I mean, we... we we were leading the Tour de France before, so uh, uh, we want to be leading it in uh, in, in uh, Paris. Uh, that's the big goal, but uh, for now it looks good. But uh, of course, there are, how much is it? Ten really, really hard days coming up, and uh, we see how that goes. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Well, we heard there from some of the members of the Jumbo uh, Visma team that you caught up with in Basel. But of course, one of the other notable members of that team was your favourite Francois, I should imagine, one of, the, one of your monsters of cycling, Wout van Aert. Uh, you know, how integral was his part to play in today's stage? It's a monstrous Swiss knife, you know, <laughs> like you, you can do it because he's a guy, a Swiss knife. A green one, a green one. Yeah, a Swiss knife is not a very, you know, luxury item, but but is is like a golden Swiss knife, you know, like, like or even, you know, I don't know how many, you know, carrots you you, you or diamond uh, Swiss knife because, I mean, he can do everything. We, 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 we've, we've seen that from the start. He can do everything for himself and, and to win races and to win races for, for, for Jumbo. But today, he, he, he ran his own race in, at the first. I mean, breaking away with Mathieu van der Poel. Yeah, I mean, that, that was uh, uh, an exciting moment. We were, oh, what's going on? You know, we, we, you know back to the old rivalry. And obviously, it didn't last long. And, and it's the, the kind of dynamic that we have between Jumbo Visma and, and UAE now, well, that's the, the same dynamic between Wout van Aert and, and, and Mathieu van der Poel, who had the you know, disastrous Tour de France and quits, you know, which is uh, quite unfortunate because we'd have loved to see him go a little bit further, but obviously he was not, uh, you know, he was not in the pace. 
so so he did that. He, he went to collect the the, the 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 points for the green jersey, and 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 he was he was up up the the road for a long time with the, with the breakaway and doing his part of the job. And uh, you know, it's it's been a method. Is it been a tactics launched by Movistar sort sort of for for the last. Uh, uh, 10 or 15 years to have a guy up front and then he waits for the guys when they come back and you know he, he, play, he plays a sort of a kind of you know r- relay guy and and so well that's what we we saw clearly what was one of almost stopped you know to to for to 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 wait for the Yubovisma group to come he looked back and okay now you know off to my domestic uh, role and then and then he was you know was really the the the, the the locomotive, you know, he, he really, really pulled the train hard for the, for as long as he could. And also, at that say, uh, there was one moment when he said, "Okay, guys, I can't go no further. I've done my job." And you know, all this within the same stage is, uh, you know, says a lot about the uh, p- extraordinary. It's not more. It's not the potential. The extraordinary uh, palette of, uh, of 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 you know. Yeah, qualities and uh, it's yeah always impressive really impressive rider yeah when I noticed just the the camaraderie within the team you know and you also have to think the fact that they came into that last climb with a number of riders and, and Pogacar had one rider left to, to help him and so you just think you know and, and also but the finish line just seeing that all the teammates kind of waited for each other to, to show up and, and UAE was at the finish line in, in bits you know Mikhail Bjorg and Mark Hershey were some of the last riders to come in and they just came to the finish line and they sat down and they just they looked like crushed souls and, and it was really kind of i mean i almost felt sad for you know for the team because obviously they had such high expectations you know this would be the third tour in the row and we still don't know what will happen but i just really felt as as a rider who's been a part of a team i really just felt sad to be part of you know or just to witness that they were you know not just pogachar but the whole team just was was crushed today one thing that we're all very excited about here at the Cycling Podcast is our project with our clothing partners, MAP. Now, we tasked them to create three brilliant jersey designs, and my, did they succeed at that. The brief was, what if the Cycling Podcast was a pro team? What would the jersey look like? The designer, Misha Glisevich, came up with three designs which reflect different eras of cycling history. The designs are called Check, Dot and Fade, and you can see them and vote for your favourite at map.cc. That's M-A-A-P dot C-C. The winning design will go into production later in the year and will be available to buy. And uh, a buffalo motif to remember Richard, who I know was really excited about this project, that will be added to the winning design. Uh, so this is MAPS designer Misha Glisevich talking about the ideas behind the project. My name is Misha Glisevich. I'm the creative director at MAP. I'm one of the founding members. Ollie and Jared approached me when I first starting the brand or thinking about starting MAP and approached me to kind of uh, initially do the branding and overall brand direction, graphic aesthetic of the brand and website design, which kind of evolved into the product design. For me, you know, uh, having studied graphic design, my passion for cycling was always linked to the graphic design um, and the bold colours and the style of the riders, you know, so that they're two things that are always been linked for me. And I'm not sure which one is stronger, you know, but it's or which one started first or which one appealed to me the most. But um, it's definitely something that's worked hand in hand over the years. We wanted to kind of create something that responds to the, the rich heritage of cycling and teams and the influence on teams on design and kind of really look back at um, 
the different eras of cycling and um, present our brand and your brand as a fantasy team. For me, it was a different kind of process where, you know, usually I feel like a lot of map jerseys are rooted in uh, me referencing old cycling kits and my love of the sport and, you know, heritage of cycling, but we do it in uh, very subtle ways, you know, through colour or placements or shapes. But this was kind of really a more direct interpretation of the eras and kind of looking at it more closely and identifying the elements of each era that kind of, you know, subconsciously makes you feel a connection to that time and those riders of each period. Well, everyone, stage two of the Breakfast with Boz segment. I'm at the top of the Col de Grenon. It was a hard climb, hot at the bottom, and a very untraditional big climb you would find in, in the Alps. It was a much smaller, narrower road. Surprisingly, not a ton of fans on the side of the road, but it's hard, and I'm up here, and we're just seeing about 5K to go. Roman Bardet has just attacked, and uh, I found a lot of Slovenian fans mid-climb, but clearly up here at the top there are some, some French fans and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful climb. Not quite as hard as I had thought, but still a challenging climb, and it was pretty windy up near the last 2K of the climb. So I think if, if any of the riders have any intel, they will try to create a gap before that because in the last couple of K, it's going to be easier to follow in the wheels. For breakfast this morning, I was actually joined by Ed Pickering of Rouler and Francois Tomazo. We decided to come over to Briançon and skip a morning ride, and I once again had an almond croissant. It was much better than the almond croissant I had the other day in Morzine. And I also had a quiche with tomatoes and olives. So once again, quite a good breakfast. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm on a little almond croissant journey this tour. Some good energy up here. It seemed a little bit quiet for a while, but as the riders become closer, I feel like the anticipation and the excitement is building. So I'm going to get down near... Uh, the finishing booth. I've just connected with a few soigneurs that I used to work with at Team Sky, so I should have a little bit of access to speak to some riders here. Quintana's off the front, Barguil's still off the front, and Bardet has just attacked. Maybe the French riders are unaware that Bastille Day is actually tomorrow. Well, we heard there the second edition of, well, for the Cycling Podcast, because I know that it is a podcast in its own right, isn't it, Ian? But the second edition on the Cycling Podcast of Breakfast with Boz. And and how did it compare to yesterday's nice, cruisy, easy, pretty alpine uh, views? It was a hard climb. Um, we, we mixed things up with a little bit this morning as well. We actually had breakfast in Megev. Um Francois joined me and yeah, I had, I had another almond croissant that uh, you'll hear was far superior than what I had the other day. It was a, it was a much harder climb, I guess. It was also much warmer than it was yesterday. I, you know, yesterday I left at six forty-five in the morning, and today was maybe two p.m. So it was it was much warmer outside. Um, but it was a really hard climb, and we'll, and we'll hear about it. But I also noticed that there's there's literally no cover on the climb. You know, you go through a town at the base of the climb, but once you get past the town. There are no trees, you know, it, almost like a, a mini Mont Ventoux. You know, it, it's very exposed. It was a little bit windy, um, but you can also see a long way. You can, for, for In the middle of the climb, there's a series of switchbacks, and you can really see up ahead and, you know, from the vantage point of being up high. And, and we noticed that actually Vingegaard was at times looking down the climb because you can see a long way through the switchback. Well, and Francois, there's a lot of history to this climb. What else can you tell 
about it. So as we know, because we've said it repeatedly, it, it had not been written by the Tour de France since 1986, which was my first tour. So maybe my first and last tour, so we have to come to the Granon. But uh, yeah, the, so the, the 1986 one, uh, it, was, it was won by uh, Eduardo Chozas, a Spaniard who was, you know, in the, in, well, who was in, in the break that day. Uh, but it was, it's also famous because it, it was the last day uh, Bernardino, you know, held the yellow jersey. Uh, he had to actually, you know, hand it over definitely to Greg LeMond uh, that day. And then, you know, the next day they were going to L'Alpe d'Huez. It has exactly the same stage that we, we, we're going to uh, to see tomorrow. And um, and yeah, it was the passing of the baton. And as everybody know, knows, Ino and LeMond in L'Alpe d'Huez, you know, uh, went over the line, uh, and, you know, hand in hand. And it was uh, often said, you know, that it was one of the hardest climbs uh, it, it, it done. He also said he had an injury, he had a... He had a calf injury. He didn't feel really good on that uh, on that on that climb. But 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 if you if you ask him, you know, I, I tried to call him today actually because usually he talks to me. I, I nearly recorded his the, the 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 sound of his answering machine, you know. But uh, obviously he was. I, I suppose he was snowed under request, uh, you know, to 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 discuss his the, his last day uh, in yellow. So 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 the, so he didn't reply. But you 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 would you would never you know uh, lead. You know, to 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 admit he really had a failure. He, he he said, well, you know, it was it was I I had pledged to help Greg win the tour, so that was the day when I decided that it was time for him to go for it. So you know that that's you know never admitting never admitting defeat. There was another inter interesting feature about the uh, Granon. So we really don't really know why this 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 call this pass exists. You know, because it it leads nowhere. But I think it was obviously for military purposes because at the top of it you've got two forts. So Obviously, you know they, they they build the road so that the, the military could go up to the force and and you know uh, and watch the the, the the border with with, with Italy. Another impo important thing. Yesterday, we had demonstrators for you know against climate change uh, and you know environmental uh, concerns are, are are important and an important matter e even for uh, the tour organizers for the Tour de France. Um, and today, actually, one of the reasons why we couldn't go to up to the finish was that there, there was a deal made with the uh, local authorities that no cars would be going up there, that no litter would be, you know, uh, uh, thrown from cars or whatever, that you know, spectators would be limited, and there were even areas that that was there were there was they 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 hired a, a specialist, a botanist, to say, okay, you can't go there, you can't go there, you, we, we have to pre protect the, that area. So one of the reasons also why we had to send buzz up. <laughs> up the hill was to only to protect the side, so that that's you know that's also a, a nice in, inter, interesting little feature of the of the Granon. Yeah, I mean, I was incredibly surprised at just how little things were actually up there. And actually, speaking of the military, there were quite a few. I guess I don't know what border defense military up there because they they must still keep an active base up there and they're actually on display maybe trying to recruit people handing out pens and they had some machine guns out and they're all in this a unique green and white camouflage maybe because i assume they get a lot of snow in in the winter time um but it was really a small area for for everyone i mean the the teams were only allowed i mean obviously the team cars could go up but only one small sprinter van for for the soigneurs and there was very little parking and you know oftentimes i mean we'll see this tomorrow at Duez, there's it's a circus up on top and really everyone who wanted to make it to the top was either by foot or or by bicycle there was no there was no additional cars at the top outside of the finnish infrastructure and then the few teams that brought one vehicle up 
I mean, is that part of the reason why it hasn't, the tour hasn't visited? Or is it just that French race organisers are very superstitious? They wouldn't possibly want, you know, a French great like Bernardino losing his uh, final yellow jersey there. They wouldn't want to go back to somewhere with that kind of bad luck. I yeah, would, no, it was actually, uh, Rose, it was actually a decision by the local authorities. They didn't want the, such a big race as the tour to, to go up. Uh, Le Granon and 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 destroy or because because actually they 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 had bad memories in 1986 not only because Vino lost lost the yellow jersey but also because crowds kind of you know destroyed uh, really protected areas so they, they they were very reluctant for the tour to to get back there and the, the only reason why we could get back there is because they 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 they, they imposed the, that that those regulations which are not you know very handy for us the journalists but. You know, let's let's face it. We, the COVID restrictions and the, the protection of the environment are much more important than a few quotes you, you can grab at the finish line when you're a journalist. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to our sponsors, Science in Sport. The Cycling Podcast is very much powered by them in more ways than one. As Lionel mentioned a few episodes ago, a couple of our producers, Hugh and Adam, rode the ETAP up Alpe d'Huez at the weekend. And uh, you can hear more about that in a Kilometre Zero episode that comes out tomorrow morning. Uh, but Science in Sport products made up the bulk of their fueling for that. I've heard that cappuccino and tiramisu bakes, uh, Go Energy powder and gels and cola flavored hydro tablets to keep the cramps away really were uh, their big hits. Um, so if you're looking for some sports nutrition and a fantastic offer to boot, then head to scienceinsport.com and use the code SISCP25 for 25% off all of their products. Well, today's stage, even though it was just the first of uh, many alpine uh, days it felt like such a definitive day i mean you guys look like you're having a lovely time kind of exhausted from your your own exploits out there sitting beautiful vistas couple of cans of beer there can i see tell us what you're drinking there Well, Mitch would be very disappointed with our beer oh, selection no. tonight. I will say, I will say, Mitch would probably not even drink this. But no. Well, the, the thing is, I, I went to the, the the nearest supermarket to to buy beer. Uh, there, there were a couple of uh, local uh, craft beers, but they were so warm that 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 I settled for the only cool ones I could find, which are very average uh, industrial stuff. But uh, just to name a few uh, bottles I, I've seen on the, uh, you know, on my on. <laughs> My trip to the to the supermarket was uh, was one called uh, there's the Bière du Mont Blanc, you know the Mont Blanc, the highest uh, peak in Europe. So there's a, the, apparently a brasserie that that makes beer there, and uh, there, there was a funny one called La, La Bière du Crétin des Alpes. Uh, and uh, so it, it means what it means, the beer of the cretin of the Alps, you know. Uh, but, but I mean, the cretin of the Alps is not is, is not a joke. It's actually apparently uh, for many decades in, in, in the Alps be because there were isolated villages and isolated valleys. While people, you know, uh, how could I put it uh, mildly, tend to have, to have you know, in, well, you know, uh, To make kids with their cousins, and um, and it it, it 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 resulted in into a syndrome that that's a real medical syndrome called uh, alpine cretinism. Uh, you you had like you know guys who, who you know 
whether this kind of mental disease uh, and it's 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 not a joke you know it's it's called alpine cretinism and uh, so so well and there's a beard there's a beard named after it yeah, yeah so so that wow. so some guys had the idea of of having a beer called the beer of the cretins of the alps well that there you are uh, we haven't t- t- tested it but the, but but uh, i might go back tomorrow buy a bottle put it in the fridge and we will we'll tell you what it tastes like Oh my god! I, uh, well, I, th- I think maybe in future, maybe just stick to wine. I think lay off the beers. That's that's a uh... yeah, yeah. Well, the, the area is not is not renowned for its uh, wines. I mean, uh, further north in Savoy, you've got the Mondeuse and you've got you've got wines made of Pinot and and Gamay. But here in Briançon, we're already in Provence. Uh, so I mean, this area is not noted for its its wines. But if you if you if you just go down like eighty or hundred k's, you 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 start to get into Provence region. And as everybody knows, Provence is is noted uh, worldwide for its rosés. Uh, so I, I'd recommend if you're in Briançon, maybe for, to go for for rosé. I know that the, the purists don't like rosé. They say, oh, it's not wine. You know, it's just a drink or something. I'm not against rosé. I, I think rosé can be very good wine, but you, you you just have to to pick the good ones. And and just uh, just rosé de Provence doesn't mean much. If you really to, to want to be on on the on the safe side with rosés, go for the rosés made in the region of Aix-en-Provence. And they usually, you know, the appellations are very simple. Coteau d'Aix-en-Provence or Palette. But all the roses made in that area are really good, actually. So if, if you're in, you know, in a wine shop or in a supermarket and you're looking for, you know, cool rosé for your, go, well, go for the Aix-en-Provence stuff. I mean, if you're in a wine shop, but uh, it's a good time to remind everyone that we do have the Cru de Flaneur collection of wine. I can't say how many rosés from Provence uh, fit in there, but that was curated by Greg um, Andrews at Divine Cellars, and that is still available. So uh, if you're interested in that, or interested in wine, well, I mean, and who wouldn't be interested in wine, then go to divinecellars.com and see the selection of wines. Um, And they've done a collection there that is going to tell the story of the 2022 Tour de France and also Daniel's got a podcast with Greg as well um which is uh, on the feed and was released just before the tour if you're if you're looking uh for that but I mean you guys look very relaxed but you know tonight the riders won't be relaxed will they because there's a, a huge test in the form of Alpe d'Huez tomorrow yeah well and, and speaking of someone who does enjoy their wine and knows their French wine very well that's that's Roman Bardet and, and Francois spoke to him yesterday and lo and behold he had a phenomenal day today and and mm. tomorrow we should also remind everyone that tomorrow is also Bastille Day and I, there was a moment today when I thought the French riders have the day off because there was a there was a lot of very active French riders today with Barguil up the road and Bardet having a good day um yeah Roman up to to second overall on GC as you know I'm not chauvinistic at all my my favorite champions have never been French uh, but but yeah it's it's nice to see uh, some of the local guys coming coming back uh, I mean Barguil had a couple of very bad years, you know, crashes, injuries. So I mean, he was up the road for a long while, and it's nice to see him trying again. And 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 Romain Bardet, as we know, uh, you know, changed teams, uh, also had his problems, uh, you know, went with DSM, and well, was in splendid form in the Giro, and had to pull out with, uh, um, you know, stomach problems. So yeah, it, there, there was a very nice, you know, picture at the end of the the, the if you were watching. Uh, the TV coverage. There, there was, there was, uh, you know, a sudden glimpse of Bardet uh, sitting by himself, you know, at, you know, at the top of the cliff and looking uh, down in the valley, like, you know, like, like contemplating that the, the two years he might have 
not lost you don't lose years but you know and and maybe contemplating a, a new f future it would be really nice to see Bardet in the you know uh, on the podium in Paris but you know it's a long way to go yet yeah. yeah I mean and I know Roman fairly well he bought a place I think in, in Vance not too far from Nice so when he was living down there in the winter we would we would train together and he's an incredibly nice guy and he's incredibly thoughtful and caring and, and you know, I was just at the finish line and I looked over and I saw him sitting on this in a gorgeous vista behind him. You know, it was just nothing behind him. And just, you know, I'm sure he wasn't looking at the at the view, but it was just so romantic. It was a perfect, you know, he had gone outside of the finish, you know, the taped off area. So everyone could kind of rush over and see him. And it was just, it was very emotional, I guess, even for me to see him there and to see how good of a ride he had, he had done and to realize that he had, you know, climbed the, the ladder and was up to, to second overall. Well, and so I wasn't able to get a hold of Roman at the finish, but I was able to speak to his sports director. And I believe Matt Winston is also a, a team coach. So we, we spoke to Matt, or I spoke to Matt at the finish. So let's hear from him. I'm here with Matt Winston from Team DSM. I mean, phenomenal ride today from Bardet. Yeah, really good. We kind of said at the start of the race, we take it stage by stage, which is what we did. And we knew Roman was in good shape. And we, again, wanted to go to the, for the stage result from the peloton. Um, and Roman showed really good legs there and yeah in the end third on the stage moved up to second on GC so yeah we I guess people are gonna now think we're going for GC which yeah of course when we're in second we're uh, we're gonna go for it now I mean a phenomenal ride from Roman and I mean he's really thrived within this team I mean I think you know coming back to the tour is obviously a, a big deal for any French rider but you know moving away from a French team but coming to a team that's maybe a little bit more I mean a, a different approach we've we've worked really hard with Roman over the last 18 months and yeah, I think you, he's made some really nice steps and uh, he really enjoys working as part of this team and I think when we continue to work in this way then uh, yeah, it's going in a really good direction. I mean, so obviously he's up there in second in GC, I mean, he's got to focus on that over trying to go for a stage win, but maybe, maybe he can go for both at the same time. Yeah, I think when it comes from the peloton, you know, you never know when the opportunities might arise and um, we'll, we'll, we'll look to it and we'll, we'll still take it day by day, you know, it's still a long way to go in this tour. Um, it's nice that we're in this spot now, but you know, we're still a long way to go and we're still a lot of hard racing to come. Tomorrow again, a super hard stage and it can all turn on its head again by tomorrow evening. So we stand here now in a nice position, but yeah, we have to now keep the focus and uh, go again tomorrow. But as Matt said, the, the probably the most commonly used quote in cycling, we'll take it day by day, which which really kind of caught me off guard. The fact that he said, you know, Roman came here for, for stage wins and I think the goal going forward is maybe still stage wins, but a rider in second in GC and having a day like he had today looking ahead to tomorrow surely he's got his mind set on the GC now yeah I hope he keeps lying about his ambitions day by day <laughs> <laughs> so what can we expect tomorrow I mean it's crazy that you know to, to have a, a, a stage featuring the outdoors and you know to not even feel that that might be uh, the big decisive stage of the week already I mean it is it is a really big day and you know, what they actually go back over the Galibier, which is, you know, a hard climb in itself. And then, you know, they hit it, I think it's, was it 1600 or 2600 meters at the top? Um, you know, so back up to altitude, down, and then a very similar run into, I think, a pretty traditional run into Alpe d'Huez, the Col de Quadrefer, down, and then, and then up the Alpe d'Huez. Yeah, it's exactly the, 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 the replica of, 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 this, of the 1986 stage. So, so they, they, you know, uh, if if you if you if you want to know what to expect, well, have a look at the 1986 stage. Maybe you know that it, it'll give you a clue. You know the, the form we've seen Jonas Vingegaard in to today would it would be a tremendous surprise not to see him. You know, 
well, very well tomorrow. I, I, I guess that if Tadej Pogacar wants to strike back, he probably have, has to wait for the Pyrenees uh, and, 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 you know, and take tomorrow uh, as, you know, kind of a re recovery day uh, and to, 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 you know, to make his point clear that he's not uh, beaten yet. But you never know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be an exciting stage regardless. And, and, and one thing I did notice with Vingegaard on the final climb is he went really deep. I mean, oftentimes when you see a, a rider take yellow and, you know, a, a real GC contender, you see them maybe in a way kind of sail up the climb and they're, and they're you know, they're cruising and they're, you know, really flying up a climb. And, you know, there were times when he was almost wincing. He was closing his eyes and, you know, gritting his teeth. And, you know, I think he knew the significance of taking the jersey and getting time on Pogachar while he can they have a big day again tomorrow. And, and, you know, one thing actually we mentioned last night, Caleb Ewan, um, I did speak to Caleb at the finish and he did come to the finish with his team today, but he mentioned that, you know, the start tomorrow is uphill. They start here in Briançon and it's the hit from kilometer zero. They start climbing the, the Col de Lottere. So it's going to be a stronger breakaway tomorrow. I would imagine there's no, there's no freebies. There's not going to see Matthew Vanderpool going in the break and then dropping out. You're going to see a really strong breakaway tomorrow, which could be, you know, an exciting day for, you know, the KOM jersey as well. Well, it's amazing to have so many answers to so many questions on today's stage, and and yet to be left with so many questions uh, ready for tomorrow's stage. So I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, say goodbye to you both. Uh, so thank you very much, Francois. Thank you very much, Rose. And thank you, uh, Ian. Thank you, Rose. Before all the rest of you leave, I just want to leave you with uh, today's Tour de Buffalo, and uh, I think it's we're here on the eve of an Alpe d'Huez stage, and. Uh, Francois, I'm sure you'll remember this, a moment that, um, well, I know that you remember this because you quote it all the time, a moment that I think it's safe to say will go down in cycling podcast history. Uh, I'm going to leave you with uh, on the eve of the outdoor stage in 2018. Well, Rich giving his predictions uh, for that particular race. I'll leave you with him. The Tour du Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. We had a bit of a discussion on the way down the hill in the car about Team Sky and about Garrett Thomas and Chris Froome because for me there isn't really a hint of any kind of friction between them. Partly that's their personalities and partly I think there'll be an honesty to, to what happens. It'll be about whoever's going best. The, the, the one thing that I don't that I've sort of discounted is if Garrett Thomas is really going better than Chris Froome over three weeks and Froome has to um, make way for Garrett Thomas but I don't really see that happening I mean I think it's completely fanciful to think that Garrett Thomas is a, is a potential Tour de France winner I just don't see it happening The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore Daniel Freeve and Lionel Burney With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.